Welcome to the Everything Early Childhood podcast designed for approved providers, nominated supervisors and other childcare leaders. This fun, lighthearted and very serious podcast features weekly episodes on strategy, advice and conversations with fascinating and inspiring people from across our sector. Join the journey and have access to the tools and inspiration you need to create high performing childcare businesses. Let's get started. Hello, friends, and welcome to another week of the Everything Early Childhood podcast. I am so excited to be here with you today, and I have, I'm a bit late actually posting this episode because I've had some construction (laughs) next door, and I didn't think it would be very great to have all of that construction noise um, in the background of the podcast. So here I am recording this a little bit later in the day, but um, all good, we're here, we're up to our third and final chapter of the big trip and we are now talking about UK and Scotland. Um, I have to say that this was my favourite part of the trip. Um, The energy, the um, experiences, the people um, were just beautiful, incredible and the experience around the UK um, and Scotland were great. Now, I've saved this to last because obviously Scotland was the last part of the trip, but I just want to say that in between each of the other trips, we used sort of UK as a home base. So um, we arrived in the UK, we went to Italy, we came back to the UK for um, like a couple of days and then we went to Iceland. Then um, after Iceland came back um, to the UK again um, and then we actually got a car. So we got a car from after Iceland and we drove in a vehicle, I say, Um, we joked that it was three Aussies um, and our adopted Aussie friend Nikki Rukan driving around Scotland and um, it was absolutely incredible. So um, the parts in the UK we were lucky enough after we got back from Italy we were lucky to go and visit one of the services from um, the people that were on the trip with us and uh, it was amazing and um, so what they'd created in their service so it was called um, Alfreton Nursery School if you want to look it up on socials and follow them. Um, Laura and Emma they're amazing so shout out to you both. Uh, They've got a really Um, big team, an experienced team, a team that have been together for quite a long time. Um, Emma's just started there as the leader of the school, the nursery school, um, about two years ago, I think, and she's doing an awesome job. But um, what is so, what was so exciting about going to that nursery school was that out the back of the nursery school, they just um, had this land. And about eight to 10 years ago, um, Laura was explaining that they turned it into a forest and it was a hand-built forest. So they actually went out there, they planned it out, they built little, put little trees and planned out what they wanted it to look like and now you know eight to ten years later it's this big mature forest Um, it has so many looks and crannies and things trees for the children to climb fruit trees with growing um, delicious things that the children can pick and it was the first time that we discovered or that I discovered willow and willow in Australia is considered a weed 
But it, I was so fascinated by it because they used it because um, willow, it's so similar to bamboo almost, but it's more versatile. Um, so with willow, you can bend it, you can morph it, you can move it um, into whatever shapes you want to move it into. And so they'd made um, these little teepees, these swings, um, these arches with the willow. Uh, so it's obviously they've got the branches, but even the big stumpy roots can be morphed and moved into different shapes to create all of these different things. Um, so they made um, a tire swing. Uh, they made like these, um, I'm just looking at photos for inspiration as I talk to you. So we'll see what comes up. These little humpy things that the children could go inside of. Um, and there were three of those connected um, together. There were these, um, this other garden structure, not out of Willow, but this other um, garden structure that the children could go inside of. Um, and then similar to what I would describe like in Iceland that they may have is that they had a, um, oh, I can't remember what they're called, but they're like an outdoor house. Um, so they had a greenhouse. Interestingly, their greenhouse made of glass, they um, experiment with lots of different things with what to do with it. And they ended up actually putting their sandpit inside of the, the, the glass greenhouse. And these things beautiful, like with stained glass on there. And they said the children were just using the sandpit um, more and more and because it was enclosed in this space and even even when it was raining it was still able to be used and they said it was even it was beautiful because they could hear the rain dropping on the on the roof and I wonder how much thought that we're in our centres in Australia are putting on the outdoor environment and are we thinking about how we could I know it's really hot here um, but are we thinking about how can we use all of our outdoor spaces in all weather conditions uh, and what can we do and I just think this service is an example of when you have of what's possible when you have that vision, when you have a vision of what you want to create, when you have that vision. And, you know, we have to start with those small little steps. And then eight to 10 years later, it's this beautiful, mature forest um, that you would have no idea that was created by hand and planned by hand. And so some of the trees are being cut down. They're using the stumps and reusing um, everything within their environment. Um, they decided to put their forest in the back part of the yard. So when you walk out their doors, they have um, a normal, I guess, a normal yard that was currently under renovation when we visited. Um, but massive natural plans for that space as well. Um, lots of water, lots of natural elements being put in there. And the team didn't feel confident to have the forest space open all the time. So, and interestingly enough, in UK and Scotland, you need to have someone who is forest school trained to lead the forest school. And I find that that's quite restrictive and we had many conversations about commercialising something and, you know, ensuring people had that training 
uh, I think training's important and building that knowledge and having that interest. But when we we really got to see the difference throughout, particularly around the UK and Scotland groups with what it looks like to actually have a, and I'm going to use Luke's words here, free range kids um, on the land and um, a more commercialised version of forest school. Um, and it's re- it was really interesting to see the difference throughout all the services um, and all the nurseries, I should say, with how they implemented it and how they went around um, around that and, and what they did in their services. So, um, yeah, at Alfreton they have a gate and then that they only go out there with a forest school um, trained educator and they have sessions during the week that they take the children out into their forest um, but if, but what was really great about Alfreton was that it's an integrated age group setting it's quite large and they have different spaces throughout their whole setting um, you could definitely see the children represented um, in the setting and they all the educators contributed to all the groups. They said what they do, they rotate. So educators choose what group or what spaces they want to be a part of um, for that week or that month. And they are in charge of planning those experiences for those groups. And you could see, and they were so passionate to share all of the amazing things that they were doing with the children. My um, favourite part was they had an art studio in there. So that was one of my favourite parts. Um, and you could see how the they'd incorporated natural elements throughout their whole classroom as well. Um, and the children were engaged in all of those experiences. One of the interesting things that, um, or two interesting things I should say, is that um, in the structure of their classroom, so it was two to fives um, and they were, it was all integrated ages. Um, all the educators were in this in the space, but there were different spaces in the space. I hope that makes sense. So there was a block area and then in the back area, there was um, the art studio. Around the corner was all sort of like dramatic play with all puppets, books, instruments. And then another section of their classroom was they had a um, gifted and talented room. So children are chosen and selected to go and spend time in this room. Um, In this room, it's quite structured. There's a lot of different experiences that happen in the room and it's still following the children's interest, but it's just extending on the concepts and making them a little bit more challenging for those um, children who are selected to go into that space. So it's more, um, there's maps and clocks and looking at the evolution and population, um, pollution, um, what else is in that space? There's the whiteboard, the TV, they've got these different curtains that they change over depending on what the children are exploring. So lots about the solar system, deforestation, um, talking about extinction, animals, the ecosystem of um, the different animals and um, neuroscience. So lots of complicated um, and I guess advanced concepts being discussed in this classroom Um, and then outside um, so they've got the back area so much space they're so extremely lucky at their setting to have so much space 
Um, I mean, what do you think of the gifted and talented space? Is this something that you have in your classrooms? Um, is this something that you feel um, is a positive thing or not? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, then out the front of their service, they have a another garden, another outdoor space. They said when they, they wanted when people drove into the service for them to see that it was um, natural and nature-based um, and they felt there was just a wasted space just um, in front of their car park. So they turned it into um, a sustainability environmental expedition and it was so fascinating to hear the teacher who was running this program and who had designed the yard um the concepts of everything and how it came about and and what was put in there. So that was their stem hive um, and they had like a caterpillar made out of tyre rims. They had everything was upcycled, recycled in this outdoor space um, and it was all set up ready to go. So they take the children for sessions out here. They had so many donations um, that added to this space as well. Um, even a bug, a bug hotel um, that the school children um, close to the service were involved in making as well. But it was just another space for the children to explore. Lots of loose parts um, for outdoors, large loose parts. Uh, and just random. It was so random. Like um, they had train tracks and car parts and um, tyres, a phone booth, um, pipes, lots of different things for the children to explore. And I loved the fact they had these beautiful wood-carved animals in there as well, um, so an owl, and they had all these names. And what really, for the animals that they had carved, and what I love about that is that they have given it, um, what's the word? Like they given it, I talk about this all the time, like you know how we create traditions and we create stories and, and when we do create traditions and stories around things in our environment, it creates that sense of community because um, everyone knows what its name is, everyone's a part of that experience and I think it creates history. So even over the time, it's still the same name. It's still the same community. It's still the same um, things within that space. It just grows with the children in that space. So I'd really encourage you for your service to think about how can you create history? How can you create those stories within your environments that children can keep coming back to years years down the track? Perhaps they have new siblings started at the, at the service, but they come back with their older sibling and be like, yeah, I remember, you know, I, don't, I can't remember what the name was, but Alfie the owl or, you know, whoever. And they connect with that. It's a part of connecting to that environment and connecting to that space. Um, so I was really privileged to um, visit Alfreton and the girls there are amazing um, and doing such an incredible job um, in their in their community. So make sure that you give them a follow, um, have a look at the amazing things that they're doing um, on socials each day. So um, just to share a little bit, after Alfreton, I, um, oh gosh, UK and Scotland, one of the favourite things for me was being offered a cup of tea. I'm not a coffee drinker um, and people think it's the weirdest thing. They're like, how do you have so much energy? How do you get through every day and not drink coffee? I don't know. I have tried, um, but I I like tea. So the, in, in the UK and Scotland, they were like, do you want a cup of tea? Can we give you a cup of tea? And it was always tea. And I was like, yes, I don't have to feel weird about not drinking coffee. Um, 
So you offered a cup of tea wherever you go, um, which is awesome, resonated for me. And just the people, the experience, the energy of, of the place as well. So in Alfreton car park, while we're drinking our cup of tea, um, <laughs> Nikki and I, we had the car and um, we were, this was just before we were heading to Iceland and we'd packed, like Nikki and I packed for a whole month, right? So we had to, or I had to, I'd say she, she's a seasoned traveller, um, I had to downsize my suitcase and because we could only take, I can't remember how many kilos it was to Iceland, but it wasn't very many. And so we had to downsize everything that was in our suitcases. And it was quite a life experience. And I'm so grateful to her for guiding me through it um, to work out what was a necessity and what I was going to leave behind. Um, so going to Iceland for a week and only being able to take certain items, I had to go through my whole suitcase and repack um, because the lovely ladies at Alfreton allowed us to leave our suit, our other suitcase there. Um, so we, yeah, it was like literally going through everything. Have you ever done that? Like, have you ever gone through and actually worked out? Like, I know like Marie Kondo and there's so many different like things out there that say, if it doesn't bring you joy, then get rid of it. Like bless it, release it, whatever. Um, but it's actually so hard. Like, what was I going to get rid of? Did I need my straightener? Did I need, well, I actually realized I didn't bring the right connection for my straightener to use it anyway. Um, But there were so many things that you were like, do I need this? Is this a necessity? Will I need, and especially in a place that you've never been before, you don't know what to expect, you don't know what to wear. But um, Nikki assured me that I only needed (laughs) certain items and that it was going to be freezing cold and I'd have a jacket on the whole time anyway. Um, So no one would really care what I was wearing. Um, And we did it. Um, and it was just an experience. Like it's a, it was the weirdest feeling like to just be like, is this a necessity? Do I need this? Um, and actually downsize. Cause I, I kept thinking to myself during that time, I'm like, okay, so if I lost my luggage, what would I like, what would essentials be? Um, and what would I call essentials? And I think in life we can do that too. Like, um, you know, do you have a place where you store things that if anything ever happened that you're like, oh, I, these are my essentials. This is what I'm going to take with me. And I wonder what that what would be in those for you. Like, what would you have in your essentials? I mean, of course, like toothbrush, toothpaste, um, brush for my hair, like, you know, those sort of things. But yeah, what else would be in your essentials um, that you would pack with you? And I mean, do we have that for our services as well? Like, do we have sort of like a go? You should all have your evacuation bags, of course, um, with all of those things in there to help the children be safe during that time that you're outside of the service. Um, There's a lot of discussions about what should go in the bags. Um, So if you want a checklist about what's recommended to go in your evacuation bag, shout out, we can send that over to you and um, help support you. But um, yeah, so moving along. So after we got back from Iceland, we had um, the car and we um, set off on our journey. We had to go back to Alfreton to pick up our bags. Um, So it was really nice to see Emma again. She's such a beautiful soul. And then we went to Bolden. So Bolden Outdoor Nursery School. This was one of my favorite settings. And I think 
it was um, a really beautiful balance between um, using the indoor and outdoor space. Because one of my biggest questions that came from Italy was, you know, what is the balance? Because in Italy, it was all outside. Um, there was, they had inside, but they didn't use it at all. So that was one of my questions, like what's the balance between indoor and outdoor space? So going to Bolden Outdoor Nursery, which is set in a low socioeconomic area, um in Bolden and they just were incredible such a good team um we were lucky enough that they opened the service on the weekend for us to go and visit um because that's just you know where we were in our schedule so we were so grateful and the girls there were just incredible they all they all wanted to come in they all wanted to share their environment um they took us around um to show all of the different pieces and it was just it was an environment that the indoors had the exact same feeling as the outdoors and they just connected so well with each other and they had purpose like there was a purpose for the indoors a purpose for the outdoors and every single space in the service was just um, purposeful and meaningful. Um, We didn't get to see the children engaging in the spaces but you could even just walking through you could feel the children engaging in the spaces and they'd even left things set up from the children from the week before so they could come back and visit. So some of the highlights from um, Bolden, I'll post some photos, but follow them on socials, Bolden Outdoor Nursery School. Um, They, and it doesn't look like anything from the outside. Like when we walked up to it, it looks like it reminds me of like, I used to play sport, right? And we used to have like these little canteen shops that were like these fibro little buildings um, and they opened it up and it was like a canteen. It sort of reminded me of that from the outside. So from the outside, it was nothing special at all. But as soon as you walked in the door, you felt the love, you felt the energy, you felt like um, where where to look. Um, there were so many incredible things that they were doing. Um, so just to name a few, they had, again, integrated age groups. So they had two to five years. Um, they were really what was incredible about this service is that they were so responsive to their groups of children. So they changed the environment slightly to to meet the needs of the children and the families. So they said this year, because in um, UK and Scotland, their school year starts in September. So um, we were visiting them like almost right at the start of their school year. And so they said, Coming back from COVID, um, the, they found that their toddlers, um, so sort of their two-year-olds, were really were much more unsettled and having um, a lot of difficulty or challenging emotions, um, settling in and transitioning, being around um, all of the friends and being in such a large group. So what they did, they created this space. Um, it was a beautiful sunroom, and they just created what they called the home room. It was a home room. It was a home space for their two-year-olds to go and spend time in 
um, they had they had didn't have a gate, they didn't have a thing, so the two year olds could go into all the other spaces as well. But it was just a space where they could come and just feel connected, um, feel a sense of belonging, and just so that they weren't in the biggest space and not overwhelmed, um, they could feel comfortable in this space as a place to drop off in the morning. And they said that that was working really, really well. And I think it's a great point to be like, okay, well, even if your service has been working really, really well for 10, 15, 20, 25 years, you know, does it meet the needs of your current group of children? Because we know they're different every year. Um, They're different children, different spaces. So what can we do to accommodate for them? The other thing as well around the um, integrated age groups is that it allowed the children rather than transitioning to um, group by group by group up up into, you know, mirror, mirror copied classrooms, um, which essentially if we look at a lot of classrooms in Australia, they're all just mirror copies of each other. It allowed them to actually move and grow and morph and firm. That peer tutoring was there so they could grow together and um, really support each other with that learning and that growth. Rather than being so um, confined to what they could learn or how they could grow or being so restricted to only growing with those milestones or those developmental areas that we allowed them to as educators um, for their age group. So whether children were at this stage or this interest, they could go and explore that space, whether they were at this stage. And of course, every child is only going to grow and develop to and explore their things that they're interested in. And that is okay. Um, they did a lot of um, like, yeah, so there are a lot of books. There are a lot of books um, in the environment and how they stored them was really awesome. They had heaps of different shelving and containers and and spaces. It was such a warm space. Lots of adult um, furniture, so big furniture, lounges, soft, soft lights. So there were a lot of um, fairy lights and the rope lighting, lamps. So it was a very soft They had a lot of natural resources in the indoor environment as well, which tied in so well to the outdoor space. And they used a lot of woods um, in their indoor space as well. And you could see as you walk through the space, you could see the meaning of the spaces. So they had lots of photos um, of what the children do in those spaces and on the board, they said it really helps. So in like the dining space area, um, I was it was so beautiful to see. Um, so I described in our last podcast um, from uh, Iceland about this Rejo inspired service that had all the different sized um, dining tables. And similarly to that same concept, they had them in Bolden as well in this dining space. And we even ate in this dining space too. So we felt um, really at home. Um, And we had a sharing session and and were able to ask lots of questions. But they had this board and on this like felt board, um, it had pictures of all of the outdoor space and they named the outdoor space. And they said it really helped the two-year-olds to settle in, to start looking at the spaces, what they did there, um, what they were like, and to start creating that vocabulary 
around those spaces because those using a language and using a vocabulary helps everyone to feel a sense of community, a sense of belonging and a a part of something. So they had spaces outside called the wilderness, the fallen tree, nature kitchen, um, willow den, um, willow tunnel. They had a cabin outside, which was awesome. Um, Loose parts, firehouse, tool work, movement, um, swing, allotment, studio, water and construction and the beach. Um, The beach was a really cool place. They um, actually had a rep, so they worked out when they were designing the yard what they wanted it to look like with their community and the children. And close to their close to their nursery, I was about to say it was service, but close to their nursery, um, there was this really prominent. lighthouse so what they decided to do was build a beach so in the instead of a sandpit it was a beach in the middle of the beach had the same replica lighthouse um, mini version of course that they had in their local community and then they had rocks so they had this rocked area and then on the other side they had um, sand and you could actually see the children had built uh, like this massive like river flowing area and right next to the sand pit they had water because what fun is dry sand so if you don't have water or you don't allow the children to use water in your sand pit um please I encourage you to try it try adding water whether it's you have a tap installed near the sand pit um for them or Another solution that we saw in Scotland was that they had, um, you know, those big jugs, like we often use them at parties and things and, um, you know, you just get water and stuff out of and fancy water. You can get plastic ones or you can get glass ones. Um, Even like you remember the old school like McDonald's, we used to have them at Macca's, um, McDonald's, and they had their big um, cordial. They used to have cordial in them and they were like plastic things. They had them. So in a service in Scotland, they, they had about four of them in the outdoor environment and they moved them around to allow children to have access to water so um I found that was really great because then they weren't tramp like going in the bathroom and having the floor wet it just allowed them to naturally be able to access access the water so um it was great for them to be able to show their community Um, in their environment through replicating different things that the children were already familiar with in the um, in the outdoor space of their service as well or their nursery Um, the children were able to sleep so they had spaces for them to sleep outside spaces for them to explore the firehouse the fire was always on um, and there was always an educator who was in charge of being in the firehouse when the fire was on Uh, and just lots of and I mean those spaces that I named to you were just in the outdoor space like could you imagine the indoor space as well like this place was so so incredible Um, and then um, yeah so I I just what else was a highlight from this yeah this service it was awesome they use like stick dividers um, for different spaces so that the light could still come through but it was like a mysterious adventurous place for the children to sort of sweep through Um, they had lots of photos up of all of the families and it just really felt um, felt like home and just their passion 
about their environment and about their space was just yeah incredible and their documentation so they used floor purely floor books and they had different floor books for different things they they critically reflect a lot at this service so um, and they go out a lot to the local environment um, and areas in their local community. So they and what they what they reflected on was that they they had more meaningful documentation when they actually took the floor book um, out with them to those places and filled it out with the children in that environment rather than prior to that they were bringing the children back and then they were documenting after the fact so they learned that if they take it with them they get so much more meaningful language description ideas um (laughs) and then um in their documentation so it was really really amazing to see how their floor book had transformed over time and they had them for different things they had them for just documenting children's drawing so each child was assigned a different color they chose a different colored texture um, or crayon or pencil whatever they wanted to use in that color and they drew throughout the year so then they documented their growth in their drawing um, in their their group book their group floor book as well um interestingly they did have a center pet um their center pet was um a snail so they had a bush snail um and of course had the books all about snails all around um their their pet um so that was really interesting and I was fascinated uh, look everywhere we went um Italy uh, particularly Iceland UK and Scotland around their storage of things Of course, in the UK um, and Scotland, the weather can get very cold um, as well um, and wet. So I was just fascinated by their storage of things. So they had this cabinet for all of their, um, you know, wellies or gumboots. um, And then they had this space where they put all of their coats and all of their um, bags. And it, yeah, it was it was just like, I just find it incredible. But what, what I took from it was that they were prepared. Like the children came prepared. They had everything they needed. Um, and they, they had space for it. They had an assigned space where it was stored. And I think we need to think about that a little bit more, um, and figure out like, okay, what do the children need? How can we store it? Where can it go? And actually set them up for success each day and set the parents up for success with letting them know what they need to bring perhaps at the start of the year or the start of the school or each day with them and put a lot of thought into that depending on what you want your curriculum and what you want your day to look like with the children. Um, there was a quote at this at this service in Bolden and it said, the best classroom and the richest cupboard is roofed only by the sky. Um, and that's by Margaret McMillan. And I just think that's such a beautiful quote. Um, and to spend time in the outdoor space, to smell the fire, see the smoke, see um, all of those different spaces that they had created. And every space was like, So even off the cabin, on the side of the cabin, they had a loose part station. Um, They had a, um, uh, what else did they have? Like spiders made out of like these wood things in in the cabin. The cabin was awesome. They had like old mixed with new 
um, in the cabin. They just had, they figured out that it was really hard when they were outside for the children to go to the toilet and they were often so um, engaged in in things that they didn't want to go to the toilet. So as part of their new initiative for um, this year, they actually installed two new outdoor toilets um, for the children in these little cabins for the children to be able to go in. And I think through all these trips, I'm I'm just so blessed and grateful to be able to have and appreciate like outdoor sinks and having water outside because I think um, it's just so beneficial to be able to have that. And just the spaces that they created at this um, at this in this nursery was just incredible. And so again, it came up again. Actually, it came up in New Zealand. It came up in a lot of services around um, Scotland and the UK. But they said that. So we just came through the front door and we walked into the foyer and then into the classroom. Um, at the, but they said the parents don't usually come in that way. In UK, um, particularly, they have things called well in, in Scotland actually allotments, and they're they're like these uh, like spaces off to the side of the buildings where they make gardens and the community can come and contribute to the gardens. And so they had these garden beds and the families actually walked to this through the side of the centre through the garden before coming into the service and that's how they come in. And it almost stops and I know like Jake and I had conversations when we were in New Zealand that it was similar and it was about the experience of walking into the service like that having that and I read lots of books on like the third space and that transition between one space and another space and also that transition in ourselves and what and what energy we're going to bring to that space and I think that creating like a walkway or pathway or a journey where their um, families could see the sky, smell the flowers, um, you know, engage in all of their senses and have just literally that two, three minutes walk into the centre to have that feeling and those emotions and to have that time for themselves to transition from like traveling from work and now I'm coming to the nursery to pick up my child I think that it allows them to enter in a completely different frame of mind and it allows them to sort of leave and transition into that next role that they have for the day and that next um, you know to be able to be present and in that moment so do you have a journey like what is it like for your families when they pick up do they just come in the front door and it's chaotic um is can you have a different space that allows them to take that pathway or take that journey into the service to hear the sounds of nature to smell the smell of flowers to hear water to hear birds to hear and just be able to take that time to transition and even if you don't have that space to be able to do that, perhaps you have um, like what that space that you do have, perhaps you need to think about what that could look like um, or what you could have in there to create that same feeling um, and to create that same meaning, that purpose of to allow them to um, sort of escape and transition into the next uh, space. But the outdoor space was amazing. Like, oh, it was just the ultimate, like the firehouse. Um, we met a baby, we saw they had baby hedgehogs. Um, 
which they take to the rescue place. Um, and so we found that was awesome. We found a baby hedgehog. Um, they had these, so in there, it was, it was like, I can't even describe it like use the like find the right word to describe it but just it was like a wondrous place like um someone was like beauty channeling beauty in the beast like a wondrous place for you and me anyway we don't need to sing but um they had like a gate um so there was this it was sort of like an entrance to the next part of the of the outdoor space and so they were like and it wasn't even a fence it was just there was a gate there was a willow archway and there was this fence like a, um, you know, like in a paddock that you would have with the three poles. So the children could choose which way they wanted to enter into this next space. So they could go through the gate, they could go under the archway or they could climb over the fence. Um, and it was just really cool how they'd thought about those transitions into different spaces and catering for for different children entering those spaces. So when you are designing your spaces, really have a think about, you know, how how can you create that wonder? How can you create those, um, you know, sections of different things within your space for the children to be able to um, explore and to be able to move into another space like do you have quiet spaces outside loud spaces outside are they next to each other how do they integrate with each other and I mean I love indoor spaces and creating you know really amazing and inviting warm rich textile home-like uh, I always used to joke like everything in nook and cranny creating the old so lots of character um, and this space was exactly like that for me it was just invoked so many positive warm emotions um, and very rich like there weren't um, posters everywhere there weren't there wasn't artwork up everywhere in fact they just had this one space um, in the art studio where the children displayed their artwork but there were floor books everywhere that the children's artwork was through anyway or their drawing and their documentation that they were a part of creating um but you could definitely see what the intention in these spaces were for and it was so literacy rich, so many books to do with whatever they were exploring in each of those spaces, so many signs, so many um, different words and that's all it is. When we talk about a literacy rich environment, it's really just about making that environment meaningful. So what do you have in your space that you could make meaningful to the child so that it just becomes part of their everyday it's called environmental print so you, even things like you know if the children are out um, or if you're traveling even with your child and they even recognize things we don't even need to tell them about so they're the biggest thing right they recognize the arches for mcdonald's they know what that means and that is an early stage of reading when we talk about environmental print so their big arches mcdonald's they know that that says mcdonald's target big w um, it's recognizable so when they're seeing it all the time they know and that's the first stages of um, literacy and early literacy and being able to read so look at your environment and how literacy rich is is your space 
Um, so I'll share some photos um, from each stage of the trip on the Facebook page. Um, so make sure you follow us. You can follow me or you can follow our podcast page. Um, I'll share them on there. So of course, after our trip to this centre, we had to go and see the real lighthouse. And it was exactly the same as a little mini lighthouse um, in the service and beautiful views um, across the ocean, the mountains and the ocean as well. So then our next trip, we went to um, to visit Luke um, at Riverside Cottage. Um, this was truly, like, this was amazing. So um, his quote or his tagline, as you drive up on the sign, um, is free range kids. And it's true. Um, so the children, we arrived, the fire was lit. Um, we went over, we sat around the fire and we had, um, he made oats. So they made some porridge on the fire the children gravitated down on their own from so there was an indoor there was an indoor room um small but it had a dining table some dramatic um, area and then some blocks that they could build with um then it had like this big open space and then down a bit further was the fire so there was a gate and then there you walk and there was these big boulders and then the fire and then um, over the other side, they had like all loose parts and um, in the bush. So they had like this climbing thing and these things that they'd made um, in the bush. And then they used like one of those garden greenhouses as just another covered outdoor classroom. So they're well, not even a classroom, but just outdoor space where they could do things to get out of the weather a little bit. And um, the rule at this place was that the children, they had barriers. So the children knew that they couldn't enter gates without a teacher. So if there was no teacher in that next space, the children couldn't go through the gate. Um, And that was one of the boundaries that they'd created with the children. It was huge, like even beyond their space, um, there was another gate where they went out into this, um, the land and there was a river, like a flowing river and walk and lots, this field of just grass, green grass and walking through the forest. Um, So they often did that as well. But again, there was a gate. They don't go past the gate or past that boundary without an adult. And I remember they communicated a lot through walkie talkies. Um, so the teachers were spread out so far, like there was one at the house, um, there was one down at the fire and they just communicate with the walkie talkies if the children were moving from one space to the other. Um, they had a whiteboard. So we noticed the whiteboard um, in the sort of reception area where we walked in and this is where they documented. So they just wrote down how many children were in their care and then as they went home, they rubbed it out and um, changed it so that they knew straight away how many children were with them um, in their care for the day. And so we had um, oats around the fire. The children were involved in um, making the fire and um, serving their food out of the big billy pot that hung over the fire. And we just sat around, we talked, we and that session around the fire probably lasted an hour. Those children were so engaged, relaxed. Um, we ate our porridge and they put in um, different things. Like I'd never seen jam put in porridge before, but they had jam, honey, um, 
I don't know what else, but there were two to five-year-olds again, so um, integrated age groups. I think there was one child also that was um, even younger, like one and a half. The children, uh, the families brought the children dressed, ready to go, so they had their suits on, suits and boots. And um, after porridge, we went for a walk um, in the forest, so we went out um, into the forest, and it it was just... um, yeah, it was awesome. Like the children took the lead. We went um, down all these places and you could see the history. Like there was an old um, cubby house that was falling apart that the children obviously didn't use anymore. Um, and the children were just led the way and we went on an adventure. We went at the children's pace. Um, there were lots of words like um, uh, like thanks for waiting, which way should we go? Um, you know, some of the children were up a little bit further and so they'll just say, well, let's wait for the rest of our friends at the tree um, to catch up. And it was really about allowing the children to have that freedom to be able to explore, look at things at their own pace. Um, we found different, we found snails, we found, um, lot, we jumped in puddles. Um, it obviously gets very wet. Um, so we jumped in puddles, we ran in the water. Um, they said that the river, so the flowing river was fuller than they've ever seen it. So depending on the seasons, the children can actually go stand in there on the rocks and there's just a tiny little bit of water, but it was really deep this time. And it, um, they were standing by the river and the children literally jumped in, like they jumped in the river and they quickly jumped back out because they assessed the risk that it was really deep. Um, they probably didn't realize how deep, but there was an educator there at all times, ready to jump in and ready to help them. Um, I do have to say, like, after the fact, you know, they said, were there any times that you were, like, a bit nervous? I said, look, around the water, I was really nervous. Um, It was probably the only time that I felt like, oh, I don't know if I feel quite comfortable with this. Like, the children were literally jumping in. Um, And I was joking to them being like, oh, are you going to jump in after them and go and save them if they float away? Um, And they said, absolutely. So we talked a lot about risk, appropriate risk, children taking, um, you know, steps to minimise their risk and assess their own risk. And lots of things um, came up from that. They said, look, sometimes we'll even have an educator here and then we'll position an educator like downstream. So just in case they do like float with the stream, we've got educators there that can um, obviously help um, in an emergency should they should they need to. Um, but everyone was safe. Everyone was healthy. Um, it was it was really, really fun. And um, yeah, just a little adventure through the forest and just to hear the different words, to see that language, to see that learning. Because I know a lot of, um, when I ask services and we have this discussion at our directors networking group, actually, we're like, why don't we spend more time outside? Like, why? Like, why is it that, I mean, we're so lucky in Australia, the weather that we have, like generally it's pretty good, but who cares? Like, even if we have a bit of rain, even if we have this, I mean, of course, we need to take precautions um, with the heat that we have here on some days um, and the UV. But why don't, if we have all of those uh, materials and clothing and resources to be able to do it, why don't we spend more time outside? And it was really interesting that they said that it was because the educators don't want to. Like the educators don't want to be outside. The educators don't understand how the children learn outside. The teacher, the educators don't understand um, what to do in the outdoor environments. Like it is purely just a time for the children to go out and run. 
And I think we'll do a separate episode on this and I'll get some of my friends, um, I'll see if Nikki will come on, um, try my luck, see if Nikki will come on and be a guest to talk about outdoor learning and the benefits of outdoor um, spaces. But even just experiencing these these small moments because it's about helping us as humans and teaching children from a young age and children have this naturally just being present in the moment being able to explore what they see what they taste what they hear um, being able to have that vocabulary rich conversations um, being able to pick things up and explore it what does it look like what do you think it is I wonder what will happen if we if this um, oh, I wonder what's this way? What's If we turn left, what's down this path? And often it's about those conversations and about those adventures and things that we're seeing. It's just about taking the time to meaningfully and purposely take it in. So some things that we saw on our trip, as I said, we saw a snail and the educator just took her, took her phone out of her pocket and took a photo. The children took a photo of the snail. Um, we saw some horses um, in the field. We obviously saw the river. So the river was flowing um, really beautifully, so fast and it was so deep. Um, they found some berries on a tree, some different leaves. We had to actually go down a ravine. We had to jump over it, um, go down, go up. So it was very, um, you know, physically, uh, I don't even know the word to use, but it was it was very physical. Um, so the children were using their little bodies. And I actually made, I actually reflected on this when I got back and I was like, you know, I don't know in Australia if in certain areas that the children would last that long going for a walk, like we were walking probably for an hour, an hour and a half through the book, through the forest. And I was like, I wonder, cause once I took, I went on an excursion and I took a group of children and we overestimated how far it was. Like it was pretty far, but we're like, no, nah, no, nah, they can do it. We can do it. So we made it there, which was fine. But on the way back, the children started to be to, to um, like, oh, I'm tired. I'm tired. Like, I don't want to walk anymore. I don't want to walk anymore. And granted, it was probably the, the longest walk we'd ever done. And we were like, what do we do? So we started to like piggyback those children and give them a bit of a um, boost to be able to get back because we had to go back. Obviously, we were on our way back. Um, and then more and more of the children were just like, we can't do it. Like, we can't walk. We're so tired. Um, so we stopped for a bit. We had a little break, a little drink. Um, but they honestly were so tired. Like, they couldn't walk. So we ended up um, getting like, I don't even know how, but there was shopping trolley near us. So we bought the children in a shopping trolley and just pushed them back um, to the center in the shopping trolley. And it, it was just this, it brought this moment back to me that I was like, I wonder if in some places in Australia, the kids would even not even make it an hour and a half to walk through the forest. But this is why it's really important and really crucial to build up that seminar. And perhaps like, you know, start with five minutes, start with 10 minutes and then build your way up so that as you're walking, through and it doesn't matter are you exploring suburbia are you exploring the bush are you exploring the park um, it doesn't matter what you're exploring um, but I think just being able to be active and out and and physical is really really important so I was really blessed to be able to spend that time with Luke um, at the 
at Riverside Cottage and it really just opened my eyes to what freedom looks like for children. There, Even though we – like I'm sure there absolutely was moments of that intentional learn, intentional teaching and the children learning, but ab- at absolutely no point in time were the children forced or made to sit down and they didn't even have a lot of things out. It, it was just like what was out was just so engaged and meaningful – um, for the children so they had a pumpkins and they had different size real pumpkins at the table and they just had all these scales and the children were just like weighing the pumpkins um, and talking about if they were like you know heavy or light um, when we got back from our walk they walkie talkied um, on our way back and said you know we're on our way back um, you know can you have the fire going so we can dry out all of their clothes so when they got back really easy they just took off their outer um suits they just hung them over the fence to dry in front of the fire with their boots um and that's it and then we just went on with our day had some lunch they didn't they got asked if their children wanted to sleep so they got a choice um there wasn't like beds made up there wasn't an extensive amount of time even spent doing that if they wanted to sleep there were hammocks there was this covered area with these little hammocks in it if they wanted to have a sleep or just find a nice quiet space um to have a sleep in the in the environment and I think what that does it takes the pressure off and it it removes that sense of because I keep coming back to this word like this feeling of like control like we have to control everything and I, I think we need to let go of that and I think we need to realize that the children are at the center of everything that we're doing and if that is true and if that is factual then they should be really leading their own learning and it's our role and our job as um, an educator and, and facilitator to guide them in that learning, build their vocabulary, introduce them to different concepts and different ideas as they're exploring through those interests. So the next place we visited was, um, I don't know how to say it in, um, so um, Riverside Cottage was in Bathgate. Um, then we went to Ardrick Nursery in Creef. Um, I'll just quickly touch base on this service. So this service coming from um, Riverside Cottage, this service was very, um, I'm going to say posh. It was posh. It was part of a private school and they um, they were very fortunate um, to have a lot of luxuries. Um, so they had a swimming pool. They dined in this dining space. So we went into the actual school and they had a chef that made them food and they sat in this dining hall um, next to this big extravagant um, library with these bay windows. Like this building was incredible. Um, and outside of their classroom, because they also had a, they had classroom and they had an outdoor space. Um, but they, and on Thursdays they went swimming and on this day they used the gym and did gymnastics and like they had a lot of privilege and, um, but they had a nature area or a forest. Um, it was more of like an adult area that had been created for the children. So it was very different to the day before. And what was also different about this experience was that it was very, it was forest school. So it was forest school led, forest school driven. So it was pretty much like it was, they brought the classroom outside. So they set up activities outside. They brought the paints, they brought the rugs, they brought um, clay, they brought um, 
there was a swing there. There was like this circle fire area and there were rituals around coming into the forest. So they had to create a forest name and let go of their name. And um, it was it was a very interesting experience, um, especially just coming from, you know, this free range kids the day before and then coming into this a bit more structured approach. The children still had an amazing time in the outdoor space, but it left a lot of questions for me whether, again, coming back to this commercialised version of outdoor space, yes, of course, it's still beneficial for children, but is it freedom? Like, is that what freedom is for children? Is every children in this space able to be themselves and actually have time to create? Because the biggest thing, the actual most important thing that we can do for children is allow them to have time and space, which may be at times that they're bored. Children may get bored because that's actually where creativity, innovation comes comes from. Um, for them so the again the team were really beautiful in this space um, really great team um, it was part of that private school so it was really interesting um, Nikki is awesome so Nikki took the children down and collected um, shivers what were they called um, oh they were like little nuts but they called them something else I can't remember anyway these these conkers that's right they went down into this other area and collected conkers and they found this um, uh, this tree that was like carved out and then they put it up on another stump and they were putting the conkers and putting everything down down this ramp and they were all you know obviously fast slow finding different things having races conkers races um, building stick men with little leaves and little sticks um, playing snap um, like nature snap finding or look just looking at the leaves and looking at the colors and being able to see you know is it same is it different And what I learned from this experience was, because I'll be honest, indoors is my jam. I like indoors. Um, I'm used to being in a 21 degree all year long environment and I would have been the last person to, you know, volunteer to be the person who was outside. I get it. I know. But what this really taught me was that there's actually so much more you can do outside and it's so much more valuable and meaningful to the children to be able to use nature as part of that learning experience. You don't need anything. You don't need to bring paints. You don't need to bring this. You don't need to bring that. Everything is there for you already. It's just about the children using their imaginations or you using your imagination to be able to utilize or not even just asking the right questions and um, I've got a couple of more services that we went to Um, but in summary like of the whole entire trip it just invoked in me an appreciation for nature I appreciate the outdoors so much more now I'm ready I'm prepared I've got my wet my wet pants I've got my um my boots I've got you know everything I've got the resources ready to go um you know for those outdoor spaces even to the extent at my house like we started to um we redid our outdoor you know our backyard and we've incorporated elements fire water like and just being out in nature around the trees and the birds and I came back from this trip just so rejuvenated and we were full like it was full on um like we were walking and hiking and and outdoors every single day but just being in nature was just so clarifying and so um 
rewarding and just like you know just laying down and connecting with the earth um, it was just incredible and I really really want more services to explore what this looks like in their world and in their life and you know often we don't do things because we don't feel confident about how to do it so if you don't feel that way then explore it like get people in to be able to train you and help you to become more confident how do you use tool do you use tools with children in your group you know we had Aaron on um our last podcast he's great Aaron um Nudson we had um like Nikki Bukhan there's so many people out there who specialize in outdoor education and outdoor learning that can come and be role models and help you and mentor you and your team to feel more confident in those spaces um and I guarantee the difference that it's going to make on you and your team and your children is just incredible whether it's just your wellness well-being um mental health everything like it will have so many so many um benefits the next one was Arn Hall. I was really um, Arn Hall Nursery. Um, I probably should put this in a part two, but I'm not. I'm going to power through because I've only got two more services to get through. So Arn Hall Nursery was um, – I was really looking forward to Arn Hall. I knew Arn Hall from um, – I don't even know where I heard of them from, but I, I knew who they were. I was really excited. It's a really beautiful old building. And um, so I was really excited to go and see them. They've done really amazing things over the years. And what was interesting here is that they were going through a transition. So um, COVID took a really hard toll on them. Um, They also during COVID were in the middle of their owners um, selling. They didn't know this at the time. Um, But often when owners sell centres, they can sort of let them go a little bit. Um, Their priorities shift And so this service was in that transition and they said they didn't even realise, like they didn't even see their environment because they were in it every day that it was getting to that state until somebody else came in and said to them, you know, that they were – so the person who took them over, the company who took them over, they were almost really grateful because they didn't even see what they saw. So the company came in. And they're literally going to just refurb the whole place and bring it back up to its former glory. And the the centre were awesome. Like the the educators, they were great. So it wasn't them that had changed. <coughs> it was just the priorities and it was just the, the shift in um, – care I think like caring about their spaces really respecting their spaces and I'll just share one thing with you that your space is a reflection of you um you know would you leave your bedroom like that would you leave your kitchen you know in a mess would you leave you know any space around you and often your space is a reflection of your mind so really have a look around your classroom and you know does it reflect you do how do you feel in your space um and I really encourage you to take to take on that space um, and really make the most of the space that you're in and love it, love that space because there's children deserve it and so do you. Um, so Arn Hall was interesting. They also had a bush, so they took take the children out to the forest and check it out on on socials. It's a beautiful, beautiful setting. <laughs> um, really weird layout, but um, yeah, really great. And I can't wait to see what the new owners um, do to it and transform it. So I'll keep I'll um keep watching. Um keep watching, keep my eye on that. Um 
Then the second last service we went to, so um, we went to Bright Stars Day Nursery. Um, this was a really cool story. Um, so the centre sold um, and, well, sorry, the centre was really poorly run um, for about six years and it just kept going downhill, downhill, downhill. Like there was only one classroom that was actually able to be used um, due to the other classrooms not having heating and being broken and derelict. Um, like it was terrible and <coughs> – excuse me. And so over time the educators started to lose momentum, motivation, even belief in themselves that they could do it, that they could be part of it. But their love for the children and the families just kept them at the service. And so this company bought them, took them over – in a matter of a really short time, like three to six months, just I think even shorter, they brought on an amazing leader to lead the team. Um, they um, And he just has, you know, taken this centre to be this really run-down building, to having it full running, um, really bad reputation in the community, to rebuilding that in, you know, six to 12 months, which is incredible. Um, and what they're doing this in this these spaces are awesome and they've still got a journey, like they've still got a road ahead. And that's all it is in life is just um, in our services as well is just having that map and having that journey and having that planned, getting everyone's buying, getting everyone's feedback to and having a direction and having people and your whole team going in that direction. And where does that come back to? That comes back to your quality improvement plan. Every single thing that you are doing should come back to your quality improvement plan. So I'd recommend going back, listen to the episode on how to build a quality improvement plan. Do you need support? Like where are you at with your quality improvement plan? Because if you don't have those goals, if you don't have those areas for improvement um, that you're working on and hitting those exceeding themes or a system in place to be able to do that, shout out, we can come and help you because that will allow you your whole team to go in a direction, in a defined direction. Be excited about and having ownership about what direction that you are going in. And then everything that you're doing, because we're finding services are just so overwhelmed. They're so overwhelmed with what do we focus on? What do we do? Whereas if you have a really clear picture about where you're going and what direction and what steps you're going to take, does it take time? Yeah, it's a journey. But that is what is exciting because you document your steps, you celebrate your wins, you you know, you're part of that process with each other and it connects you, it bonds you, it helps people to feel a part of it and a part of something and that sense of belonging. Um, and I think clarity is so, so important and so crucial. So instead of focusing on so many different things, everything should just feed back in to your areas for improvement and your QIP. So with the... Um, so we, that was on hall. So check them out. Um, and then the, that one was, sorry, Bright Stars Nursery School. And they're doing some awesome things. So at Bright Stars, I was so shocked because in their um, preschool, they have 60 children, 60, six zero children in their preschool space. And I was like, what? You have 60 children? And they're like, yeah, but they've got three spaces. They have a complete outdoor space. They have two in massive indoor classrooms. And the children just flow between the spaces 
and even just going there and seeing the children um, do this, it was like it worked. It was great. And they all worked together. I mean, massive team to manage in that space. Um, but the leader, the person they got to run the service was mentoring all the leaders and they were doing a really awesome job. Um, two things I loved in this service the most were, um, the hallways. So in the hallways, they had a, um, children's artwork. So they had all these canvases, um, with children's artwork, but it wasn't just painting. Like they had leaf confetti. Um, they had like a train painting, they had, um, leaves and they had little plaques and little, um, photos celebrating the children's artwork. So that was really, really cool. I really liked that. Um, and so meaningful as you walk the hallways to see that art gallery. And then they had this wall. So the first wall you see when you go, when you entered the service was a celebration wall. So it wasn't the information board. It wasn't anything else. It was, you know, what it was like, almost like celebrating achievement or celebrating you know, and it was like, what are your hopes and dreams for your child? And the families contributed and they all had these little hopes and dreams on this on this board, um, which was just so beautiful because it got them away from thinking about the developmental milestones. And so instead of thinking about developmentally goals, I want my child toilet trained, I want my child to learn how to write their name, it really got the families to think about what they want, what are your hopes and your dreams for your child for the future? Because often when we think of now, families get this overwhelming pressure of from outside, you know, the environment and uh, what's, what do you call it? Anyway, they get this outside pressure and overwhelming feeling that they want their child to go, they need to know now, they need to go fast, they need to learn, they need to be the best. Whereas that's right now. But if we get them to think about their child in future tense, then often it's a very, very different picture. And nine times out of 10, parents will say, I want my child to be happy. And how do we create that? We do that now and we come back to these values and we come back to these hopes and dreams for the future for for their, for their child. Um, so then we went to one last school. Um, so based on that hopes and dreams, I have now changed a lot of our um, – when we do goals, we don't talk about goals anymore. We talk about hopes and dreams. So what hopes and dreams do you want for your child for the future? And just by changing that question has changed everything for, for at, at all of our services um, and the direction that we are going in as well. So the last service we visited was Old Dune Road in Dunblane. Um, Dunblane was an awesome place. I really liked Dunblane. Lots of history, lots of culture. Um, I'll just point out some like this. If I had to put it on paper, like the um, so Bolden Outdoor Nursery School was just my jam, and Dunblane. So this um, Old Dune Road in Dunblane was just like if it was just me on a page like I just love it so much it had character it had old with the new it had loose parts indoor and outdoor was flowing um integrated ages um they could all spend time like together and just to see how they had collected this space and I was just looking around just like yes so they had memory folios so folders in this space with a rug and pillows so the children could look through their photos and their work um they had trays like on the floor so throughout UK and Scotland they used a lot of um oh crap what do we call them we call them um 
oh, you know what I mean, the black trays that you like sensory trays, um, yeah, you know, where you put things and in, in, in. it's escaped me the word, I can't believe. Anyway, but they had them all at different heights. So they were on the floor, they were up high, um, near their sensory table. They used these, it was really cool. You know, those fruit stands, um, how they've got like different levels and you'll usually see them in the kitchen um, to have the fruit in. They just had them near their sensory areas. And so they had all the like, um, and this was inside. Um, they had like scoops and, um, and funnels and um, lots of different plastic materials that the children could use in this sensory um, tray and um, they could even just take one of the baskets off because it was a colander like and they were just stacked on top of each other so the way they used awesome storage mix the old with the new the meaningful um, experiences that they had created it was a, the environment was really fresh they had certain places that they um, displayed things and everything they displayed was really really meaningful um, a lot of so they and I think the services that we go to and the services that we look after um, when they have a really clear vision and uh, that is driven by goal um, sorry by values these are the service that is set apart from anyone else because, again, it's creating that clarity. It's creating that dr- that drive and everyone knows um, exactly what to expect um, at the service. And, and it's great because it attracts people with those same values that want to be part of that. And they were really prevalent. They had old, like old telephones, but then they had new stuff. And it was just mixed so beautifully um, in that whole space. Um, tinkering was really important. And they, they had this really cool... Um, tool set that you could actually lock up as well so when the children were there you just roll it up and turn the key um, and it locks all the tools up so that was really cool Um, but this service was by far um, one of my favorites this service had um, the that that this this is the service that had all those jugs of water um, placed in the outdoor space Um, this service had leaves like leaves off the tree and they just left them like they didn't need to blow the yard they just left them all there as part of their play space Um, and they had lots of different things um, for the children to do in those spaces Um, they had babies here so they had babies upstairs they had their own space Um, it was beautiful in like the attic and um, you could see straight away, like I didn't, I, I walked straight into the um, nursery and they had like all these different materials and all these different um, pots and pans and, um, and, and phones and containers and, and I said, oh, you are, you're doing schematic plant. You and I turn around, they have this big thing on the wall about schemas. Um, and it was awesome, like, to see that they, they'd built their knowledge and they'd built their experience around all of these concepts that were so prevalent in their program. Um, but hopefully there's lots of different things that you've taken from this experience around UK and Scotland. Um, I think for me, again, it really is an appreciation between um, nature between um, the outdoor and indoor environment and how to connect the two that they don't need to be separate they can be together but it's just about looking at how or what feeling is invoked when you are outside and what feeling is invoked when you're inside because you can walk in an outdoor space and you can feel that it is 
uh, like boring and dead. There's nothing to do. Like it's just like, and just want to go back inside because that's where everything is. But you can also feel overwhelmed um, inside as well. So it's about looking at what feelings you want to be invoked in those spaces and just mapping out, coming up with that inspiration, do that vision board, cut out all the pictures, have it up, look at it every day and just start one step at a time with creating those spaces. But I want to encourage you all, get out in nature, get out there, do all of those wonderful things. And before I finish up today, I just want to touch base around some changes recently. So you would have seen the notice from a CEQA that the assessment and rating process is changing. So they have made a few changes and they want to put more emphasis on services being able to, or not even services, but when you go through assessment and rating, they want it to be a true reflection of your service every day. So what that means is they want to encourage services to be ready to go for A&R at all times. So the changes that they've put into effect is that they want you to have your um, quality improvement plan or your self-assessment working document in New South Wales ready to go to upload to the portal at all times. So this should be up to date. And again, I want to hone on about how important it is because this should lead and drive everything that you're doing in your service every single day. So this should be up to date. You should have a systematic approach with how you update it. But sadly, for a lot of services, this is something that's on their minds um, that they leave till last, they've pushed to the side, they um, find it very overwhelming. It's okay, we get it. But what we need to do is we need to create that system and we can help you to create that system so that it's not so overwhelming. It gives you a starting point. It gives you those big, massive projects and goals that are important to you that you can aim towards. And we give you that system with how easily how you can document that really simply each month. The other change is that around the notice period. So the notice period for assessment and rating is changing um, from January 2023 to one to five days notice for assessment and rating. So you're no longer going to get that time to beautify or to get ready for, you know, A&R coming up. We want to make sure that your service is set to, for success at all times. We know that not every day is going to go according to plan. That's fine. But what we want to do is have 95% of your days going according to plan. How do you do that? You have systems and you have processes. So if you don't currently have clear systems and clear processes so that when you get new educators, when you have changes, what does that look like for your service? If you don't have them, get in touch so we can help you to create them. We want to make sure that if you do get that call, that you're not stressed, you're not overwhelmed because you've already been on that journey for that period of time and you are very clear going into it with who you are, what you what you do, and be proud to present the amazing things that you do each and every day. So I'll leave you with that. Um, so get in touch either for a chat um, on the phone or to meet up in person and um, have a rest of an amazing week. Um, it's coming up to Christmas. So please make sure that you're also taking care of yourself because I know how busy it can get during these periods. 
And um, I know this has been a long episode, so I really appreciate you guys sticking around and listening. It's been my pleasure to share this with you today. Um, And we'll get back to our normal program of um, very specific topics. Um, I've been thinking that we might explore topics considering the time of the year around um, how tours, so how to maximise tours with families, um, how to... um, uh, what else was I thinking? Tours, um, also orientation. So how can we maximise the connection and orientations and building those relationships straight away with families? Um, also having challenging conversations. Um, and then let me know if there are any other topics that you would like to explore on future podcast episodes or any guests that you would like to hear from, um, please get in touch. What are your biggest challenges at the moment? Let me know and I'd love to do an episode on that. Anyway, I'll leave it there for now, but keep making every moment count and I look forward to catching you next week. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to the Everything Early Childhood podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. We read them all. (laughs) To catch all the latest from me, your host, Lisa Brown, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Lisa Brown underscore Platinum Ed. Thanks again for listening. Keep making every moment count and I'll see you next time.